You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to the show. Stu Goldsmith here with The Comedian's Comedian, the only podcast about comedy. Today I am talking to Rosie Jones, comedy's Thanos. And I say this because later on in the episode, as you'll hear, uh, she, when she was a slip of a researcher, was listening to this podcast uh, pre-comedian days and uh, she decided to herself that she would be on it. <laughs> she is inevitable. Rosie is a revelation and we'll. the starting point for this episode is about how as soon as you meet her, you feel like you've known her forever. And she has this sort of archetypal quality. And uh, we are going to get into lots and lots of detail about all sorts. But this is one of those ones, as her star is in the uh, ascendance, some of you will know her, some of you may not. I highly recommend, if you have the opportunity now, just watch five minutes of her on the Apollo or something on YouTube. She is an absolute monster. And uh, it is just a joy to spend time in her company. I was wandering around for the rest of the day, unable to chisel the grin off my face after this one. We're going to talk about how she leverages her comedy from people's constant underestimation of her. We're going to talk about the sort of the willpower and the sheer agency that she has on stage and how that constantly wrongfoots people. We'll talk about the precision comic timing uh, that her cerebral palsy means she has to be incredibly precise uh, about her timing. And we're going to get into some very nerdy detail on that. There's more of that on The Insiders. And we're going to talk about her new direction. And there's a, an absolute scoop here for something that... I don't know if uh, she was supposed to have mentioned, but uh, I've Googled it and there's nothing on Google. So I think it's a huge story. Um, listen, enjoy yourselves. Go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for 40 minutes. We couldn't stop talking. 40 minutes of extra content, um, including her, her genuinely unmissable insights on how to do well on a TV panel show gleaned from her experience of loads of TV panel shows and also her prior life being a researcher and a production assistant behind the scenes. Uh, and we'll also talk about how she's changed her mind about whether or not people view her as an inspiration. And we'll discover why Nish Kumar is such a horrid man. All of that and more, uh, 40 minutes of extras at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. But for now, this is Rosie Jones. Rosie Jones, welcome to The Comedian's Comedian. And I here's where I'd like to start. I think you have a quality whereby I think I know you better than I do, which isn't to say I don't know you, but I know you a little bit. But you have this kind of fall in love with you quality whereby you meet people and it's like you've always been in their lives. <laughs> Do you recognise that? Do you know what I mean? Is sort of are there people in your life who are like that? So you know what quality I'm talking about, and do you feel you have that quality? Yeah, yeah, and I think growing up, I would watch comedians, um, and my favourite comics were always the ones that. I felt that I knew. Yeah. So I'm aware that I want to, like, portray this idea that everyone knows me. And they do, really. Like, I'm probably giving you... 96% of me. But again, it's also my personality that I 
love people. I love talking. So on stage and offstage, friend, acquaintance or stranger, I will be so excited to see you and talk to you. So yeah, you say you know me. I think you bloody do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you find then, because I try to... I don't try. I think I have a bit of that quality myself. What what often really um, trips me up is that if I can't remember details about individuals, it sort of looks fake. Like I think I tweeted something about this week, like judge me not by whether or not you remember my name, but by my actions. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I just, I run around projecting love and then, and yeah. I say to someone, and I've done this in the past, I don't know if you've done this, I've gone to someone, hey, how are you doing? What's your deal? What's your name? And they go, we've met five times. And I go, oh no, I'm a terrible, insubstantial piece of shit. Does that ever come up with you? Because is that like a risk when you are so outgoing and so embracing of the social? Um, no, annoyingly, I got a great memory. Okay. And right? know everyone. So last week I was at a pub with two friends. And the guy came over and I was like, Hello, how have you been? How's your family? How's your kids? Oh, did they do that award? Brilliant. Right, see you later. And they went and my friend said, Oh, who was that? And I said, Oh, he, he was my Uber driver three <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> and then so, yeah, like I, I annoyingly remember the names of everyone, including all of my Uber drivers. Amazing. That is such a... that I mean, I've spoken to kind of power people like that before who are like, oh, that's one of the things. This guy, you know, whoever it is, someone who, in royalty who just always seems to have like an index card in their head that's like, hey, Stu, how are your two children? <laughs> name, name. And you're like, oh, my God. Well, that that's interesting because I think what that shows us is that I'm a fraud and you are genuinely interested in people. <laughs> so do you think that quality, because you, when, when, you, when you're on stage, that, that quality definitely shines out of you. That's part of why you're likable. So to what extent, you sort of said 96% is like, it's 96% reality and 4% making an effort to do yeah. that because you know it's important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it is like 96% of the time I do want to speak to Uber drivers. I do want to have a cup of coffee with a random woman who stops me in the street. And I do do that, but then there's a 4% of the time when I want a quiet coffee or I want to put my headphones on and, like, I'm getting to the stage now where people know me and if I go into a cafe people will go oh Rosie and they think they know me so much that they literally 
bring their coffee and they sit with me and I'm like, that is so lovely and I'm really glad I'm approachable but sometimes a girl wants a quiet coffee and she wants everyone to fuck off. <laughs> that is interesting because you are sort of, a, you, you're I'm not, not, you're not on the cusp of anything, but you're clearly accelerating. Your career is very exciting at the moment, right? You're, you mm. were, you did, I mean, I think I, I think I first kind of um, heard of you when you were doing tour support for Nish. And yeah. I remember, and what we've got a listener question later on about why Nish Kumar is such a horrible abler. Um, but we'll get, we'll get into that. But I remember, I remember at the time, I, I'd never heard of you. And Nish said, oh, I've got Rosie Jones opening for me. I said, I don't know who that is. And I think all he said was, he just said, oh, man, she's a beast. And I think that's like another element of your personality where instantly that's one of those things that as, as a kind of friend or colleague or whatever you I can plug into so I've been you know immediately I was like oh have you uh have you seen Rosie Jones and people are like fucking Rosie Jones I'm like yeah she's a beast I hear you know what I mean like joining in do you know what I mean so so that and I think that quality is tied to who you are on stage you're almost you're kind of like a punk in a pinafore Right? Do you know what I mean? When I first saw you, and less so now, I've noticed your last yeah. couple of TV appearances, they're a bit more grown up. But early, you looked kind of like Enid Blyton character. Do you know what I mean? And, and I just thought this is brilliant because it's a, it's a bait and switch, right? It's like I'm the Enid Blyton character who says prick and makes you call her daddy. And I'm like, oh my God, like no one's doing that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm sort of struggling to find a question in there sometimes. But, but I think there is something about the, the contrast between how much you just have this steamroller of likability where people are just like, you can't not fall in love with Rosie Jones, but you don't just, you're not just using it to be nice. You're kind of using it to, to sort of, you're exploiting it to get. And I think that's what part of what makes you a beast on stage, at least is like, you know, you're murdering rooms because you, in you, you constantly wrong foot us. Discuss. I've got no question. Do you, you see where I'm coming from? Does that resonate? Yes, yes. And I'd be um, lying if I said I wasn't aware of that. And I think. So I think part of it is my personality. The whole, hello, I'm Rosie, and I like everyone. <laughs> and then part of it is my disability that I found that because of my cerebral palsy, people constantly underestimate me and I get called cute a lot and adorable and that is where the dresses, dungarees, that childhood image comes from because I want to step on stage and I want the audience to feel like they know who I am. They know I'm an adorable five foot little lady with a big disability and then I am confident enough in these specifically written short jokes or the specifically positioned swear word that the audience goes 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think part of the kind of the reveal, and you are able to play the card, not that you're playing the same card over and over again, but almost like the fulcrum of the performance, is the fact that we don't expect you to have agency. And so the the payoff every time is, I'm yeah. not just... I, you know, obviously, I'm not what you expect. I'm, I'm sweary, and I'm sweary in a vicious and deliberate way, and I'm challenging, and I'm making you call me daddy, and suddenly I'm challenging sexually, and then I'm gay, and there's like, do you know what I mean? Like, like the amount of things where yeah. you're, you're just continually upping the ante for look how much agency I've got. So I'm fascinated to hear that it is part of like a deliberate, um, yeah. strategy with how you dress because it's not just the clothes it would also be how you have your hair you do have a lovely sort of oval soft face that you know you've got quite a Tudor face do you know what I mean I don't, I don't know anything about history but you wouldn't look out of place you've got one of those faces you're like oh you're castable in kind of um, yeah. period drama you know so so that kind of softness so then with your more recent stuff where you are dressing in a bit more of a grown up way is that because you don't need to pull that move anymore yeah that's it and I think I'm having an interesting change right now and I don't fully have the answer but I think that's what's exciting in that as a comedian you always grow and change but now I can't go on stage really and I was gonna say at dumb but more be that cute adorable person cause now I get on stage and people often already expect me to be commanding and rude or challenging. So now I need less of the costume. I just need to go on and be like, hello, I'm Rosie, you know what the deal is, and now let's challenge you even further. And I don't know what that is yet, but definitely in my news and trying to be a bit more political about disability. So actually that's the opposite way round in that I come on stage and people go, oh, that's Rosie, she's a monster. She's a machine, a lover. No one can bring her down. And then I go, I am. And all disabled people are being fucked by the government. And then you got that reversal going. Oh shit, like, even Rosie struggles with this government. So yeah, I'm now trying to go the other way of going, 
I'm alright. I'm a strong, independent, powerful, disabled woman. But we need to change how we treat disability. Because presumably from the perspective of... I'm just thinking back to that idea of you having agency and that being a reveal. The bigger picture is all disabled people have agency. Yeah. 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 So that's like the series three kind of exploration yeah. of the idea. We've done this and yeah. now you now you need to kind of be able to Yeah. Open it up and yeah. go right, you've heard from me. You think you know me. You care about how I'm being treated because I'm rosy, like you know me. So it's learned how to go. Disabled people isn't a concept, it's all individual pieces and I can only tell you about me but let's open it up to everyone right okay gotcha so so coming back to I just want to come back to the the writing and the first time when you mentioned the application of a judiciously chosen swear word at exactly yes. the right time and the fact of carefully written jokes now you are I think you, you're certainly unique in uh, the history of this podcast in that when I said have you got some some stuff I can watch even crappy preview quality yeah. audio whatever you said I can do better than that I can send you the full transcripts of both of the shows <laughs> I was like, come on baby I'm absolutely loving this episode. I love Rosie so much. She is so, so funny. And uh, I, like, I'm as guilty as anyone of falling into that idea of because she looks sweet and behaves like such a sweet little Enid Blyton girl, certainly in the sort of early part of her career. And we'll talk about how that changes. Um, but I'm as guilty as anyone of underestimating her, of... of and and to be constantly mid conversation with her, to be constantly reminded not just this enormous swat of fever that she has, but also just to be reminded that inside this uh, demure girl uh, is just a monster. <laughs> so I quote her opening line to people all the time. We all hear it on this show, so I won't further butcher it now. But um, let's get back to Rosie in just a second. Um, Comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get the extra content. And genuinely, if you have aspirations to one day appear on a TV panel show, you are going to need to hear what she says about the edit and making it work for you and some other stuff as well. We'll get more nerdy detail on the precision timing. And there's some listener questions, including her answer to why is Nish Kumar such a horrible man? So all of that's on the insiders. It's It's glistening stuff. I'm also thrilled to tell you the next two episodes are going to be bangers as well. We've got Piff the Magic Dragon live from Las Vegas at something like four o'clock in the morning. Bless him. And that is, again, an astonishingly in-depth... He's best mates with Penn and Teller now. He's mates with them. And it's great hearing his role in the room when they get together and, and work on magic together. We're going to talk about his journey from the Edinburgh. No one says the word journey at any point. We're going to talk about uh, what happened in his life in chronological order from... You might remember seeing him in the dragon suit schlepping around the Edinburgh Festival handing out flyers. Well, now he's in his own theatre in Las Vegas performing six nights a week the entire time. It's just a phenomenal episode. And if you're fans of Horrible Histories or You're Dead to Me, the fabulous podcast on which I've guested frequently to enormous joy on my part at least, Greg Jenner. The, the host and powerhouse behind that had another hugely long wall-to-wall -wall gold uh, interview a couple of days ago. So I think Greg's coming out next week, Piff the week after that. And there is a lot of sort of deeply personal stuff that comes out of Greg that he's never spoken about before. And you are just going to love it. So keep it com-com. That's a thing I should have been saying for eight years. Should I? Is it awful? It's kind of awful, isn't it? But do keep it com-com anyway. That's everything. Oh, and, and further thing, if you are in the Insiders Club, you know we've got we've been doing these Insiders-only Zoom Q&As. 
I know that I've got all your email addresses, but um, I know not everybody checks their email. But if you are listening to this, if you're in the Insiders Club, we've we've got the Nish Kumar, James Acaster and Alfie Brown ones now up and running. So you can listen to the audio from those ones. You can participate in the Fern Brady one that is coming up on the 24th of May. And we're also doing a self-help for comedians special episode with Amanda Donnick. That's on the 7th of June. Um, Amanda is a good friend of mine who I've never met. And uh, we are writing a book together and we are going to do, I'm going to facilitate a conversation where you get to ask a properly qualified clinical psychologist all of your questions about strategies to cope with any aspect of comedy or public, of performing or writing comedy, reviews, self-criticism, criticism from other people, managing your nerves, managing how much you reveal of your true self, any questions like that. In the inside, if you're in the Insiders Club, you'll be getting an invite to that shortly. So watch your email like a hawk. That's all. Let's get back to Rosie Jones. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So those, mo- like, do you remember the first time you swore on stage? Or did you, like, did that come with your very first gig where you wrote, I think this will work, I'm prepared to, I've got this idea for a thing, I'll write it, learn it, and try it. So at what point at what point did the beast arise? <laughs> I think I was born with the beast inside of me. Um, I I don't think I swear on my first set. I reckon it was one of the earliest jokes I wrote, um, which is um, the worst thing about having cerebral palsy is how long it takes me to say cerebral Blind, deaf. Why did they get one syllable? But us lot, the slow talkers, we get five fucking syllables. I reckon that's. When I first said they were fucking, and I remember it was specifically chosen because I thought it was funny that I would waste two more syllables I'm fucking, and it's me going, and now it'll take longer, but I am so angry right now about how slow I talk and gonna spend even more time fucking swearing. It's it's that joke isn't the same joke without the word fucking. 
Yeah. I mean, it is a very functional joke. It totally works. It would absolutely get laughed. Did you did you ever deliver it without the word fucking? Did you ever write it without it and deliver it with that? Because that almost that kind of unlocks the whole thing of like it. It's a. It there are so many. It's not that there are so many levels. There are a few levels to it. But the level of exactly as you say, the use of the word fucking and the fact it uses up syllables in a joke about syllables yeah. is really representative of just how densely written your stuff is. Yeah. I um so I really like doing stand up for kids and I I do that joke and I say five bloody syllables <laughs> so like fucking is a perfect word. Um, but it still works for kids with bloody. But if I got a choice, always fucking. <laughs> <laughs> the the other thing that comes up there as well is your is the timing. You clearly like with the specific writing, there's very, very specific timing. And I don't think I've ever had anyone on the podcast before when reprising a bit of material. In fact, the only other time it came up with Marcus Birdman. And we were talking specifically about rhythm because he's a drummer and he, you know, he, he's really interested. I don't know if he is a drummer, but he's, I think he's a drummer, but he's interested in very, very precise rhythm. And it's said exactly the same way every time. And so to have yourself, um, repeat that line, perform that line with precisely the right timing because obviously timing is critically important to what you do and we had a listener question which puts uh, puts it rather well um louise lee says i'm also interested in this given we have so much time to anticipate a punchline how does she find the unexpected so that we're still astonished and barking like how many iterations do jokes go through before they get that good that's as good a place to start as any other with the timing because um, it's how many iterations do they go through? How do you find the timing, or do you hear the timing in your head as you're writing it and go, "That's the one that'll work." Oh, I think it's a different depending on the joke. I do not play any instrument, but I come from a musical family like my dad's a music teacher my brother is an amazing pianist and a lot of my timing and a lot of my pauses I feel them, like, and it feels like music, and I can't explain when or why, but often when I do a joke for the first time on stage, I get the pauses. And the rhythm, quite spot on, actually. And I think that comes from a musicality in my um, writing. And, of course, one of my heroes is Victoria Wood. And I think... Her writing and her wording sounded like a song, even when it wasn't a song. So I had definitely picked up on her and gone, right, that word will sound better. Slower of it will sound better in my accent. But yet, like I said, I write all of my sets and all of my shows 
down as a script and then I literally go through it with a red pen and I go, will that joke still work without that word or even that syllable? Like, should I say fantastic or should I say great? Always great because if I say fantastic, the audience know what I'm going to say before I've said it. So I think I got lost in my answer. But yeah, basically when I write new material, I think I pretty much know where the process will go unless... I just have a ripper of a gig and I might go, oh, should I pause for two seconds longer? And sometimes it's then that I go, yeah, that works better. But I'd say 80% of the time, I pretty much write it and it pays off. And do you think, do you touched on it there, but would you, were you meaning when you say fantastic, if you start saying the word fan, everyone else will know where it's going. Yeah. And it's almost, it's kind of not wasted, but there's an opportunity yeah. to... Yeah. to wrong foot or there's an opportunity to do it more efficiently so that they don't have to be waiting because there is a certain amount of waiting in an audience that we go okay we'll get to the end of this sentence and you need to make sure that the payoff and you do make sure that the payoff is always worth the wait yeah yeah it's i'm trying to think of a good example um I'll do a um a different one and this is not funny but um I could say um my dad is called Rob and I think he is Terrible. Or I could say, my dad is called Rob, and I think he is shit. And I mean, that's a bad example because shit is funnier because it's a swear word. But the audience thinks, oh, she's going to say something lovely about her dad. And when I say shit, they're like, oh, why? But if I say terrible, even on terror, they know it's not gonna be a good thing. And we're talking about split seconds here. But I just mean that if I always try to get the one syllable, I've said it before they realise they've been surprised. Yeah, right. It's a jab, not a haymaker, isn't it? Talk to me about that. You were a a researcher for objective. 
And was yeah. that straight off the blocks from no no previous kind of creative experience yeah. or what? Yeah, so actually, me at 30 years old, my career looks very planned and like I've nailed it. It <laughs> wasn't like that at all. I uh, went to uni and I studied English and actually in hindsight that is why I'm obsessed with syllables and timing and all of that has really helped me now. Uh, But I graduated and I was a bit lost and I was like, I literally have no interest apart from watching telly. I love telly. Watch my favourite channel channel four so i just googled channel four jobs and something came up called a diversity trainee scheme and i thought wait a minute i'm diverse And I applied and I brought my mum down to London and I was so scared, but the interview went well and yeah, I got a job at Channel 4, but they, Channel 4 don't make shows. They buy shows from companies. So, yeah, Channel 4 put me in a company called Objective and I had loads of random archive shows. I worked on, like, great movie mistakes and a hundred most shocking moments of 2012. You know, all the Channel 5 shit shows, I worked on them. And eventually I got into panel shows, and I loved that. I worked on... Would I lie to you and eight out of ten cats and the last leg? And I loved working with comedians and it, it's kind of a weird thing in the team where it's a free for all. And I was on eight out of ten cats. And I was like, can I write a few jokes for Jimmy Carr's opening monologue? And they were like, yeah, yeah, in your free time, if you're not paying for it. And I was like, yeah, I will. And I went away, wrote a bit, and they got picked. And Jimmy Carr said my jokes. And it was such a feeling of elation and happiness. And validation immediately taken over by a feeling of jealousy and actually 
five or six years in the world yeah so would you say that you have a particularly optimistic mindset or are there particular things you think or ways you frame stuff is there like any kind of mantra you have or a not even a mantra but just an approach you have that retains your optimism um in 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 panel shows in life in writing writer's block anything yeah i I mean, I've said it a million times, but I don't know if it's arrogance or I don't know if it's confidence, but I know in me that I am funny. But not only that, I know within me that I am a hard worker. So I have the confidence to know that my comic ability puts hard work, puts time writing, puts practice means that I never go into a show or a panel show or a radio show drowning. Like, if if we're in, maybe I take that analogy, I am confident that I am a good swimmer. You can throw me in any pool and I won't drown. You can even throw me in the middle of the sea and I am confident enough to swim to a boat. 
This is all so funny because in real life I can't swim, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know why I went with that analogy, <laughs> but you know what I mean, you could throw me in the sea and I, I will go right. I don't know where I am, but I'm confident enough. You, you have, to, totally, totally. You have that confidence now because you have the experience now and the ability now. Did you have that confidence at the beginning of your career? Did Because I feel like you probably did, but it wasn't based so much on experience as some sort of inherent self-belief. Yeah. And I thought this would come up. And that's interesting because actually this podcast is part of my journey and my confidence in that when I was a researcher going into this studio I hadn't performed stand-up comedy at all I hadn't written a single joke for myself and I remember listening and going I'm gonna be on that podcast like like, and it, it wasn't like, oh, I hope one day it was like, well, it's inevitable that as a successful stand-up comedian, I will be on that podcast. And yet that call it confidence or arrogance. I remember another conversation with a friend. They said to me, you should try stand-up. And I went, oh, not yet. And they went, what do you mean not yet? And I said, I want another year of chilling out before I get famous. Ready, 
that'll be me. I want to know what that's about. Like, where where does that... Were you just born with that confidence? Or was it hard won? Or was it a thing an old man in a robe said to you when you were a kid? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where did, like, how can, can you share that? Can you share the, the basis of that? Yeah, I do think it is. So first it's my mum and dad. It's the jeans. It's the fact I got my mum's comic ability and my dad's confidence and just work ethic. So... Good genes, number one. And then secondly, they were parents who just let me know that I could be anything I wanted to be. And they gave me the confidence to try out things that I probably wouldn't have without their backing. But then I do think it comes to disability. It's a fact that at four years old, when I started school, like, I had to do a talk in front of the class and I had to be like, Hello, I'm Rosie. I got cerebral palsy. I got calipers on my legs, but they don't hurt me. Maybe that wasn't my first stand-up routine. Um, so I just, from the age of four, I've always walked into a room and because of my disability, people are already looking at me so I feel like it's a survival instinct to go, well, if they're looking at me, I'll, I'll make them look at me. Like, everyone liked me because I was a cute disabled girl. But actually... I found that if I told a joke, I would surprise them and they'd be knocked off their feet. And I love that. I love, even in my real life, I love just surprising people and making them be like, oh, God, oh, she talks slow, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with her. So I guess before I started stand-up, I was 26, so I had 26 years of just surprising people and using comedy to get what I want. That I, I just had the confidence to go, I can do this on a big scale. What kind of what kind of percentage is it whereby people constantly underestimating you partly pisses you off and partly it's an opportunity and it's there's power in it because you can pull the rug all the time? It doesn't piss me off. It does 
no percent, not at all, because when somebody underestimates me, it's a challenge and it's a fork in the road. Um, if I won the challenge and I change their judgment on me, I have basically won over on them and they go, yeah, don't underestimate me. And while you're at it, don't underestimate anybody or I can't change their views. They still patronise me or ignore me or talk down to me. And if it's that road, I go, brilliant. Thank you for letting me know that you are a twat. Goodbye. So, nothing pisses me off because I've either proved someone wrong or I got a bell end out of my life. <laughs> so that was Rosie. I want to just, I want to listen to it again and eat it all up. What a joyous conversation. Huge, huge fan of her work, huge fan of her as a person, and very excited to hear that she is hosting the Paralympics, which I don't believe is public knowledge. Certainly, the time of recording this, I think we've got 24 more hours before this goes out from time of recording right now. Um, in which we hope for that to be an exclusive sexy thing. I don't know how to do press releases or anything like that, but um, I feel like I feel like it's quite big news. Certainly, I am that much more invested in the Paralympics now that Rosie Jones is going to be hosting. Glorious. You can find her all over the fucking internet. You don't need me to tell you where to find the brilliant Rosie Jones. She's all over YouTube. She's got a website. You can find it with a minute's Google. It'll be in the show notes to this as well, I'm sure. Um, her podcast is called I'm going to say it's called Daddy Look At Me. I think it is. It's with Helen Bauer, who we spoke about um, uh, on the show. If not, if that bit didn't end up in, maybe that bit ended up in the extras. Helen Bauer's a monster as well. She'll be on before you know it. Um, And look out for them both. Check out her podcast. Rosie's up to everything. See her on the Paralympics coverage. And um, yeah, watch her doing stuff. This has fallen apart now because I've been uh, so effusive in my praise. I've got other stuff to get on with, but... Remember, Fern Brady and Amanda Donnett are both coming up for Insiders-only Zoom Q&As. So join the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders uh, to support the show and get access to all of the extras. There are hundreds and hundreds of episodes of extra content. And the ones from this episode, uh, 40 minutes, chock full of stuff, including Rosie's genuinely unmissable uh, thoughts, strategies, insights, really, on how to make the most out of being on a TV panel show in the room and how to, how to, there's sort of the pitfalls people often fall into. She talks us through some solutions to those. Ah, fabulous. Thank you to everyone. Thanks to Rosie. Thanks to Nathan Wood for producing. The music was Rob Smelton. Jake Crossland did the logging. Your podcast consultant steadfastly remains Peter Dobbing. Uh, I've been Stuart Goldsmith. You can get in touch with me, info at comedianscomedian.com or on social media at comcompod. And if you're on LinkedIn, I'm Stuart Goldsmith, brackets comedy insights, and I'm doing a 30 days of resilience thing there. Uh, it's a series of uh, resilience tips gleaned from from interviews with comics. So have a suss of that. If you're a business LinkedIn type person, I have a tremendous amount to offer you these days. Isn't it fun building a thing? Well, the thing's built, so come and buy the thing. Um, that's all of that. I'll post Amble at you incredibly briefly in just a second. Back next week with Greg Jenner and then Piff the Magic Dragon and other people besides. Speak soon. Oh, what an episode. What an episode. I genuinely was so... She's just effervescent. And, and oh, I love... 
There is a thing I do where I take praise for the podcast out of the podcast because I'm too British to sit there and broadcast people telling me that the thing's important to them. And just over the last few times it's come up, I've started to leave them in and I'm thrilled to leave it in with some of it in, some of what, what Rosie said, because I continue to be so deeply honoured. There's no other word for it that that comics listen to this show coming up and dream of one day being on it and then can be on it and, and then... As it moved, God, here we go. This is a post-amble. Time. It's mad, isn't it? Isn't it mad? Isn't it absolutely mad? But the great thing, the great thing for all the, the Sindhu Vs, the, the Ishan Akbars, the Rosie Jones, people who consider themselves students of this podcast who have gone on to such phenomenal things. And loads of it. I mean, I stopped counting. There was about 200 names on a list at one point of people who felt the podcast had actually nudged them into starting doing stand-up in the first place. Um... That li- I don't know what I've done with it. It'll be somewhere on a, on a, in the cloud. But it is... Um, I'm so proud of you. And this is the point. If you're listening to this now, look how possible it is. Look how possible it is that you be listening to this on a tube, on a train, on a bus somewhere whilst walking your dog or doing press-ups in the snow. I don't know what you're up to. And you can be listening to this thinking, I could do it, I could do it. And some people listened to this and thought, I could do it, and they did. So maybe you can too. So why don't you believe in yourself, you idiot? Yeah, that'll do. I'm busy. Leave me alone. Bye for now. This Greg Jenner one's amazing. The Piff one's incredible too. And I think that's why I have such a spring in my step, which is just as well, because I'm about to spend the next hour learning a uh, project time management tool called Asana. My life rocks.